Are going to be the best. Now let's see if we can use. Now let's see if we can use group pressure for some good. Now, in a moment, on Charlie's signal, everybody turns forward. Very notice. They take off their hats. And now, do you think we can reverse the procedure? Watch. Okay, so I really like that video. That was a fun video. It's actually based off of a social experiment the psychologist did way back in the day where he had some people come in. There was one subject, and he didn't know that he was actually the only subject. All the other ones were actors, and they put up boards and asked which line was matching the line over here, and there was three options. And it was obvious what which line matched, but all the actors would say something different. Actually, the first time through, they would say the, the right answer. And then the second time through, um, they would say the wrong answer. All the actors would. And then you watch that person squirm uh, because they're like, like, am I going crazy right now? Like, because I know that that line's the right, or the one that they just said isn't right, and that this one's the right one. But they struggled. And, and without fail, they would always choose what the, the rest of the group said, right? And so when I was looking for that one, this one actually came up, and I was reminded of this one because it was, it was pretty funny. It basically shows the same thing as how, how peer pressure can oftentimes influence us, right? Now, we're going to talk about peer pressure tonight, um, but before we, uh, before we do that, I want to ask the question, um, do you think that you're above peer pressure? Do you think that you're, no, okay, thank you for your honesty, yeah. So no matter who you are, okay, no matter who you are, no matter what age you are, no matter how mature you are, no matter what nation you're from, peer pressure is an extremely, extremely big motivator for all of us, Okay. It's, it's proven in the science of psychology, but it's also just proven in day-to-day -day life, especially whenever you guys talk about like a high school. Good grief. Like there's people that change their identity like a thousand times throughout high school, all based on what other people want them to be, right? And then oftentimes we also find ourselves in situations where like somebody maybe is trying to do something new or trying to do something that maybe you don't agree with and, and then all of a sudden you feel this pressure, right? Like you're at the party and somebody pulls out the alcohol and you're like, you know, I know that this isn't right, but I'm feeling pressure right now because what happens if I don't? What happens if I go against the social norm? So, so peer pressure isn't always a bad thing um, because... It, it, it helps us understand the social cues that other people, like, that we need to live by in order to be accepted by society. So that's like on a base level, psychology level. Um, that's the reason why peer pressure can be a good thing because it would not be appropriate for me to come in here. I know this. It would not be appropriate for me to come in here and, um, I'm trying to come up with an example. Uh, Good grief. Now I can't come up with an example off the top of my head. How about this? Okay. It's not Halloween and I come in here dressed up like a Native American with a big old headdress on and I, you know, jump around a fire for a little bit. Like, okay, so I could do that, and it might be a little bit humorous, but that would not be socially acceptable, right? <laughs> or, or there's things like in uh, the grocery store line that, that isn't acceptable. Like, it's not acceptable normally to turn around to the person behind you and be like, oh, what? wait, what did you get? Okay, yeah, I was, I was wondering what you got. Or it wouldn't be acceptable for us to walk up to somebody and pull something out of their cart. Or it wouldn't be acceptable to us, and you can go on and on and on. But these social cues are important for us to understand what is acceptable, what isn't acceptable. But peer pressure isn't always a bad thing or a wrong thing unless this. Peer pressure becomes a bad thing when we are pressured to do something that either we don't want to do or is against God's will. 
Okay, so so why do you think that um, that peer pressure would be a bad thing if it's causing us to do something that's against God's will? That seems like a really basic question, but have you guys ever heard that before? I mean, it's pretty it's it's a pretty obvious thing. Okay, so so the reality is is that we live in a world, and a lot of people don't live by what God has called us to. And the reality is, is that you guys are placed in situations where you're pressured, whether you, they're overtly doing it or covertly doing it, you're pressured to act or to do a certain thing that you know isn't what God would desire, right? And it's a super hard thing to, to navigate through. Last time I was talking to you guys about whenever I was your age and um, the guy pulled out the dip and like, like it was hard. Because there, it, at that point, there was only three other friends there. So it wasn't like a big party or anything. But it was still really hard for me to say no to that because I wanted their acceptance. And I was afraid that if I didn't dip with them, that they would think that I was something that, like, I'm holier than thou. Or I'm just judging them because they're dipping and I'm not dipping. And that wasn't the case at all. I just didn't feel like that that was what God would want me to do in that moment. I didn't feel like it was what my parents wanted me to do. And quite frankly, I didn't want to do it. Right? The only reason that I was, I would have been doing it is so that they would accept me. Right? So when, when peer pressure pushes us into a place where we're doing something that we don't want to do, it, it can be a bad thing. And where peer pressure is pushing us into a place where we're doing something that's outside of God's will, it can be a bad thing. Okay? <clears throat> so because peer pressure is such a big motivator, we have to have a plan before we are pressured to do something we know is not right. Okay, why do you think that's the case? Why not just kind of come up with it on the fly whenever you get placed in a situation where you're being pressured to do something you don't want to do or that's against God's will? Okay, so so who here um, would be brave enough to share time? It doesn't have to be really serious. But share time when um, either they were placed in a moment of peer pressure and they had a plan and it worked out well, or they were placed in a moment of peer pressure and they didn't have a plan and it didn't work out too well. Would anybody be brave enough to share an example? Okay, awesome. Do you do you mind sharing, or is it like you don't have to go into a lot of detail? Just like the broad like stroke. Okay, so in that moment, like the what was the, what did it feel like whenever they pulled it out for you? Okay. Okay, so you went into it knowing that it was going to be there. You had a plan to not do it. Yeah. You're telling yourself you weren't going to do it, but yet you the plan didn't work out too well. I already had loads. So, I was like it's going to happen. I had a plan not to. Okay. All right, so thank you for your honesty. It, and quite frankly, like a lot of us have been placed in a situation like that where where we felt this pressure to do something that wasn't really who we were. But we did it anyways because we wanted that acceptance. Kind of like the people on the elevator. It's kind of like, well, I'm not going to be the only person pointing forward. I always wanted to do this, actually. Like, I don't, I'm not around an elevator very often. But I always wanted to grab a couple buddies of mine and, like, walk into the elevator and stare backwards and see what happened. You guys can try that if you have an elevator somewhere to try it. Um, but, but, but we've all been placed in a situation where it's like, okay, I know cognitively, like, that this isn't the best option. I know cognitively that this isn't right. But yet everybody else is doing it, so I am not going to risk risk them making fun of me or rejecting me. So I'm just going to I'm going to turn around, right? Now, now the thing is, is that if I don't have a plan walking into it, well, guess what? Whenever I'm like presented with an issue or a problem, 
and I'm having to come up with it off the top of my head, I'm pretty much like a sitting duck at that point, right? Because if I don't have a plan, then like the, the, the desire for somebody to accept me is probably going to outweigh my cognitive ability to get out of that situation. Does that make sense? So, we have a promise in Scripture that, that, that we will not be tempted beyond what we can handle and that God will always give us a way out. But if I don't know Scripture, now I'm jumping ahead a little bit, but if I don't know Scripture, um, then how am I supposed to have a plan other than like what you said, Mason, like, oh, I just plan not to do it. Well, what if the plan had more substance to it, right? What if the plan actually had Scripture to back it up? What if the plan had something like an action that if it got to a certain point, I'm going to go and do something else? So, so one thing that I think about, um, guys and girls, whenever you're going to be in dating relationships or have been in dating relationships, peer pressure exists with a one-on-one relationship like that just as much, if not more, than at a party scene. And so if, if you don't have a plan walking into it and boundaries walking into that, then more than likely your, your brain is shutting off at that point and you're not going to be able to stand underneath that pressure. Okay? So I'm just telling you how it is. But I want to tell you a story tonight. Um, about some teenagers your age. Okay, so I ran across this story, and it's super, super powerful. So it, literally, they were your age. Okay, they were like 15, 16 years old. And um, what happened, it was way back, what happened was is that now, this king comes along, and he captures their country, okay? This was back in the day. He captures their country, and what this king does is he decides that whenever he captures a country, he's going to take the best of the best from their people, leave the, the, the people that he doesn't want there, but still rule over them, but he's going to take the best of the best, and he's going to take them into his courts and train them, and basically turn them into his best men, okay? And so, so what he would do is he would go in, he would, he would tell his advisors, he would say, okay, now that we've captured this people, go in and find the best of the best, especially the men, and bring them to my court, and then we're going to basically take their culture away and brainwash them and make them one of us because they're so good, okay? So they, what happened was is that there were four teenagers, four guys that were friends, and, and this king comes in, he, he, he basically captures their country, and then he takes them along with other people back to his country. He leaves a lot of the families and a lot of stuff in their original country, but they go back and then they were hand selected. They were one of some of the top men in their group, like 14, 15 year old, okay? Top men and they were selected for their appearance. They were selected for their intelligence. They were selected for their wisdom. They were selected for a lot of different things. But regardless, they were, they were like the upper crust of, of their group. Their friend group. This would be like the, the Valley Victorians, okay? Like, these guys excelled at everything. So much so that a foreigner could look at them and say, yeah, you have a lot of potential. So these homeboys go to the king, okay? And, and the king decides that he's going to do the same thing that he does with everybody else, brainwash them and turn them into one of his people, okay? So the, the way that he did this was basically he took everything that they had from their culture that they're bringing with them. That would be like traditions. That would be things they've been taught. That would be the way that they eat and so forth. What he would do is he would take that away from them, okay, and he would tell them what they should eat. He would teach them new things. He would teach them their language. He would tell them that it wasn't okay to speak their native tongue. And so he would basically just brainwash them. So they come in, and, and something to know about these four guys is that they loved God, okay? And, and they came from really strong, like, godly families. And when they came into this king's kingdom, they were uh, pressured to basically say, okay, we know that you used to serve your God, but we're going to leave that in your nation, and you guys are now one of us. 
So you're going to have to eat like us. So what happens is, is they come along and they say, okay, the king is telling you that you have to eat this and this and this, and then go into detail, so I don't know what exactly it was. But to eat this, this, and this. But the problem was is that these guys were on a specific diet. Hold on. These guys were on a specific diet, okay? And they decided that if they broke that diet because that diet was given to them by God, then they would basically be denying God, okay? So they told the guy that was telling them to eat a certain thing, they said, I'm not, we don't, we don't want to eat this because it goes against our religion, okay? And so the guy was like, no, you're going to eat this because if you don't eat it, then I'm going to get killed. Because one thing to know about this king, this king was like, like, if you think of somebody that's raging, this dude like raged all the time. Like he would just kill people because they didn't do what he wanted them to do. And like, I mean, he was power hungry, just like crazy. And you'll figure out a little bit later some of the things that he did. But basically this guy was looking out for numero uno and he's like, I don't care if you don't want to eat it or not. You're going to eat it because if you don't eat it, I'm going to get killed. And so these four friends said, you know what? Tell you what, you don't, you don't make us eat this for 10 days. And, and, and then we're going to see who is in better physical shape after those 10 days. Cause basically this guy was worried that if they started looking like, you know, like stick bugs, that like the, the king was going to be really mad because these guys are like the best of the best. They're being trained up and he's going to use them. So if they start looking like stick bugs, then the king's going to be like, no, that's not okay. You're, you're dead, dude. You're dead. Okay. So what happens is, is that they stand up underneath that pressure. Now, this wasn't a big test. I mean, it was a big test, but it wasn't like the biggest test that's to come. They stand up underneath the pressure, and they say no. They give it the 10 days, and then at the end of it, um, the story goes that, that they actually looked better than the other guys that were eating all the king's diet. So the guy that was watching over them was like, okay, well, something's... I mean, th- th- this is obviously working, so just keep doing it. So he kept giving them what they wanted because they were trying to serve what God had told them to do. They weren't going to be peer pressure to do something different. So fast forward the clock a little bit. So these guys get trained up. Hey, they're, they're learning the language. People are taking notice because they're really gifted, really talented, still chilling together, okay? Still teenagers. And um, all of a sudden, the king has a dream. So the king has this dream, and guess what he does? He calls all of his wise men together, and he says, Hey, you know what? I had this crazy dream last night, and it's really disturbing me, so I need you guys to tell me the interpretation. Okay, so that's what people used to do back then, especially kings. And um, and so the wise men were like, okay, like, you know, kind of pulling a Freud, like, tell me the dream, okay, tell me the dream. And this king was like, I'm not telling you the dream. If you're so smart, why don't you tell me the dream and the interpretation? I mean, this dude was crazy. So these guys are obviously, like, about to wet their pants because they're like, they're like, okay, we can't tell you what you dreamed, you crazy man. Like, they can't say that because then the king would just kill him. But he was like, here's your options. Either you tell me what I dreamed and the interpretation, or I'm going to kill you all and your families. I mean, this is straight up mob, okay? And so these guys are freaking out. They're like, oh my gosh. And they said, nobody can do that. Of course nobody can do that. That doesn't make any sense. Well, he says, well, okay, see you guys later. Send my men. You might want to go back to your families. So they head back to their families terrified because literally the king was saying, okay, guys, get your swords, go. Go slaughter them. So, so these, these four, I know, isn't that crazy? So these four are chilling and they're like, they're, they're like, okay, like what should we do? All right. We're men of God, young men of God. What should we do? So one of them was like, okay, I got an idea. Like, like God's helped me to interpret dreams in the past. So, I will go to the king and interpret his dream, even though he didn't know what it was. 
So he tells the king's assistant, he says, set up an appointment for me to come and see him because I can interpret his dream. Okay? This is wild because he hadn't, he doesn't even know what the dream is. Okay? So he's stepping out in faith at this point and he's saying like, this is not okay. He's about to slaughter all these families. I'm going to go in and I'm going to try to have faith and to see what God does. So he comes back to his bros and he's like, hey guys, like, let's huddle up and let's pray about this. Okay? Let's pray that God will have favor on me because if I go in there and I don't know what he, what he dreamed and then the interpretation of it, then obviously what's going to happen is that we're all going to get killed. We're all going to get slaughtered. So let's pray about this. And they prayed about it. And that evening, one of them, the guy that had set up the appointment, he uh, received a vision from God and he went in and he told the king exactly what he dreamed. And he said, well, first of all, he said, it's really funny. First of all, he goes in and he said that um, nobody under heaven can do this, that you've asked, king. Like, nobody can tell you what you dreamed. Psycho. Okay? And then he says, but my God has given me a vision. My God has given me the interpretation. So even though no human being can do it, and I can't do it, and in my wisdom I couldn't do it, my God can, and he did. So here it is. And he tells him the dream, and he tells him the interpretation. So the king is obviously extremely impressed. So he gives him a lot of responsibility, gives him a lot of gifts, and he's really excited about it. So fast forward the clock a little bit further. Okay, So this is when it gets real interesting. So the four guys are still chilling, still taking a lot of credit for like their wisdom and whatnot that God had been giving them. And, and then this king, crazy, psychopath king, decides that he's going to build a statue of himself and erect it and have people worship it. So he has this golden statue built of him, sets it up, and he says, okay, whenever you hear a tambourine or some sort of musical instrument, you gotta bow down and worship it. So he's telling this to all of his, like, staff, all of his head people, including these, well, at this point, it's the, um, the three guys, the guy that uh, interpreted the dream isn't present right now. He's, I think that he's taking care of other things. But the other three are chilling. And they're standing in a group of dudes that are like the king's high officials, not only from their original land, but also like from his original land. He's expecting a whole lot from them. So all of a sudden, you know. All right? And guess what these three homeboys do? Yeah. Okay, so so now like... Like, think about this for a second. You're 14 years old. You're standing in the midst of all of these really powerful people in this nation that have taken over your nation. It's almost like if Nazi Germany came in and let's say that Hitler was still alive and he decided that he's going to erect a statue and that everybody had to bow down to it and you know that God says, don't bow down to anybody except me. Don't bow down to any idol. You know this. But then Hitler comes along and he says, no, you're going to bow down or I'm going to blow your head off. Right? That, that was the threat. He said, okay, so the king said, if nobody bows down, then they will die. Okay? So what happens is that these three men stay standing. And then, like, so all the guys, like, poof, okay, they fall flat on their face whenever the, the symbol goes. And then these three guys stay standing. So the king gets absolutely furious, calls them in, heats the furnace up, decides he's going to have a barbecue. Okay? Heats it up, I mean, he's raging at this point like, I cannot believe that you did not bow down to me. Like, I'm going to teach you. And guess what these three dudes did? Do you think that they were like, oh, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. We will bow down now. Do you think they did that? No, okay, 14-year-old dudes or like teenage guys, 
They stand there, they stare looking at this king that's about to toss him in a furnace and they say, listen, either way, we're going in the furnace, our God can deliver us. And if he doesn't, I love that line, because it's like, if he doesn't, let it be known to all of you that we are not going to bow down to you, because we serve one God, and you're not him. Okay, so the king obviously is furious, and he says, grab strong men, you know, the rock, and then Triple H, and they come over, and they grab them, and they take them to the furnace, and guess what happens? They toss them in, and the rock and Triple H drop dead because it's so hot. All right? Like, so these super strong men drop dead because it's so hot. So, like, the king's sitting there like, yeah, I showed them, you know. Like, he probably doesn't even care, but he's staring into the furnace, and all of a sudden he exclaimed, like, did we not just throw three men in? Because I'm pretty sure that I'm seeing four. Now, unless I got hit in the head and I'm seeing doubles or something, there's something going on. And in addition to that, they were bound up. They're not bound up anymore. And in addition to that, they're walking around. And in addition to that, that one right there looks like the son of some sort of God. And they're just chilling. I mean, I would love to have known, like, seen that image where they're walking around, you know, like, I don't know, are we walking in a circle to get his attention, like waving at the king? You know, I don't know what exactly they're doing, but the reality is, is that they stood up underneath the pressure and they said, no, we are not going to bow underneath your pressure, king, even if it means our death. Our God can deliver us. And even if we die, then just let it be known that I'm not going to bow to your peer pressure. These were teenage guys. That is so amazing to me. Because if I'm being real with you guys, I would love to say that if I got abducted by... Mm, I wanted to say Al-Qaeda, but they're, they're weak sauce compared to ISIS. Okay, If I got abducted by ISIS and they're about to kill me, I would love to say, like, I would have the courage in that moment to, to, to not deny my faith and to just let them do whatever it is they wanted to do. Okay, so, so here's the deal. In that moment, the reason that they had so much courage was not because they were like, oh, yeah, let's, let's do this, bring it in. Because we're, we're awesome. Right? It wasn't like that. It was because they had a connection to God that I have a hard time fathoming. Like, it's amazing to me that when, when the king was saying, hey, interpret all this, and if you don't, then I'm going to kill everybody, that one of them said, even without knowing what the dream is, and even without knowing the interpretation, I'm going to step out, and I'm going to, to talk to the king about that. And I'm going to trust that God's going to give me the answer. Or the other ones where they're standing in the midst of this entire group of people knowing that if they don't bow down, they're going to die. And they don't bow down. They don't bow down. It's amazing. Amazing to me. And then the final one, the fourth guy. Okay, There was a decree that went out from the king and he decided that, you know what, we're not going to allow them to pray anymore. If, if they pray at a certain time of day, then like they'll be killed. So... The fourth one, the guy that interpreted the dream, he continues to pray to his God. The other three do too, but he's the one that gets in trouble. He's praying to his God, and then somebody tattletales on him. All right, And then the king is very frustrated about this because he actually liked this guy. And he decides that the decree's gone out, I can't reverse it, so it's still lions den with you. So he literally has a pit with lions in it. If I was a king, I might do that just because it's awesome. But I probably wouldn't throw people into it. I would probably just throw meat into it and then watch them be like, ah. Okay? Be like planet Earth all over again. Um, I'm totally digressing because I saw this really sad scene. Frozen Planet, anybody seen it? It's the new one. 
Dude, it's off the chain, okay? So if you got Netflix, go watch it. But it was a really sad scene today. Okay, so um, no lions. No lions. It was a wolf. Uh, oh, my gosh. Totally digress. Okay, yeah. Yeah. You know, Simba wasn't moving fast enough, so they told him to Mufasa. <laughs> yeah, that's a good one. Okay. Okay, anyways. Um, so they toss him down into the lion's den, and guess what happens? He's miraculously delivered. There's angels that are chilling with him down there and holding the, the, the lion's mouths closed. So the lions are just kind of tame like little pet kitty cats, and he chills all night long, and then the king comes out, and he's frustrated because he didn't want to kill this guy. But he comes out, and he's like, are you okay? And he calls up, and he says, I'm okay because my God has protected me. It blows my mind. Teenagers, just like you guys, they had that much courage in the midst of a completely different culture and a king that was threatening their lives to stand up underneath peer pressure. Now, a lot of you guys probably already know what I'm talking about, right? Who are they? Yes. Okay, so so if you haven't read these stories, they're in uh, the book of Daniel. Um, Daniel 1 through, I think that it goes through 4 or 6. Uh, I'm not really sure where the lion's den is. I think it's in chapter 4. Um, but but these are real men. This is a real thing that happened. It was the Babylonian Empire that had taken over the world at that point. Like It's like Rome. Well, Rome came after, but it's like they took over the entire world other than like a little bit that, that was up in Asia. They took over all of it. So all the way down into Egypt, Israel, all of the, the Middle East, like all of it was their, their harem, right? And they, Not harem, that's the wrong word. Their uh, territory. Yeah, he probably had a harem though because he's crazy. Um, okay, so, but, but he come, they come in and what they would do is they would conquer people. They would bring them in and do that exact same thing over and over again so that their nation would become more powerful and everybody else's nation would become more weak and they would hold that power over the top of them. But Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and then Daniel, all of them were Hebrews. They loved God. They served God. And when they were taken into exile, into a different country, and were told, you can't keep doing that, they stood underneath that pressure. These are not grown men that, that like, sometimes the pictures, like, when I was looking online, I was like, this is odd, because when you read in the first chapter, you see, like, it's, it's youth. It's teenagers. It's not some old dude that's, like, real wise, like, oh, I've only got three more years to live, so forget you, king! You know? <laughs> like, like, it's not that. It's like teenagers... They probably have a lot of passions and desires like you guys, and they're standing in the midst of all these people that are groveling at the feet of this king, this tyrant, and they're saying, we're not going to do that because we serve a God that's much bigger than you and much bigger than the Babylonian Empire. Okay, so they had three things um, that they knew before they faced that situation. The first thing is that they knew their God, right? So if they didn't have a connection to God, good grief, like... If, if, if they didn't have something that was more powerful than themselves to, to attribute to, then, then they would have folded. They would have. Because no person that is sane in the membrane is going to, if they aren't doing it for something greater than themselves, is going to say, you know what, my, my instinct for life, I'm just going to hand that over. Because like, like, that doesn't make any sense whatsoever. But they knew their God, they loved their God, they stayed connected to their God, and so when they were, they were pressured to do something that they knew that their God didn't want them to do, they were able to stand in that pressure. 
They were able to say no to the food. They were able to say, I'm going to walk into the king's court and I don't even know what I'm about to say. They were able to say, no, we're not going to bow down to your, your golden statue. They were able to say, no, I'm not going to stop praying to my God. I'm going to keep doing it. And every time they were threatened. And every time they said, you know what? You can threaten all you want, but our power comes from something much greater than ourselves. And he's able to deliver us no matter what. So have your best shot. Now, I thought about reading you guys stories out of uh, Jesus Freaks, which is a book that would basically Voice of the Martyrs, but DC Talk kind of worked together. If you haven't read some of those stories out of Voice of the Martyrs, it's, it's amazing. Amazing. Like how these people in these moments where literally their lives are being... Okay, I'll tell you one. All right? So I was just remembering this because I was like, oh my gosh. Okay, so I might get some of the details a little bit wrong, but I know that the main main detail... So I remember that it was a, it was another country. I'm not sure um, what country it was, so I won't try to try to remember that. But I remember that it was a family, and what happened is that these these military guys invaded their house. It wasn't legal for them to be Christians, so they came in, and what they did was they basically like terrorized these these this family. It was this little girl, her dad, and then like her mom, and I think her other sister. And what they did was they, they came in, they found a Bible. I don't have it here. They found a Bible. I'm not going to throw it down because that would be disrespectful. But they threw it down on the ground and they said, if you want to live, spit on it. Mm-mm. Okay. So, yeah, you say, uh-uh. Like, like I, I get it, right? It's easy to say that now. But think about this. Like, literally, she's standing there with her family. And guess who goes first? Daddy. Her dad. Okay. He walks by and he spits on it, and they let him go. Guess who's next up in line? Her mom comes by, spits on it, and lets her go. Now it's this girl's turn. And she comes, yeah, she comes by and she picks it up and she wipes it off, right? And you know, you know what these guys did because of that? Huh? They didn't shoot her in the head. Uh, no. What they did was they, and I don't know, I don't, I, it was at nighttime that this happened, and I think that where they were, it was pretty primitive, but there was a candle. So they took that candle, and they took her hand, and they brought the candle up to the bottom of her hand, and they said, spit on it. Put it back down and spit on it. And they got it closer and closer and closer. So the way that it's told is that this girl starts smelling herself burning and hearing the crackling of her tendons. And she wouldn't spit on it. She wouldn't do it. And so they kept burning her hand and then threw her in prison after that. But she refused to spit. Now, this is a young girl. You think that she did that underneath her own strength? No. Not at all. But she loved Jesus. She loved God. And God gave her the strength in that moment even though her adult parents weren't bold enough to stand for Christ even if it meant them dying. She was bold enough to do that. She's bold enough to, in that moment of peer pressure, to say, no, I'm not going to spit on my beloved book. You can do what you want to. So she knew God. They knew God. But they also knew the Word. Okay? So when they went off into exile, they had to have had the Word planted in their hearts and to know what God commanded and what God commanded them to do and not to do. And you see that throughout the entire book, but especially at the beginning whenever it was the dietary thing, they knew that what the king was serving them wasn't proper for them to eat. 
And they said, no, we're not going to do that. They knew that one of the Ten Commandments is thou shalt not have an idol, right? Or worship an idol. And so, so they knew not to do that. They knew that it was, it was, well, I'm not really sure if there's a command yet, uh, to pray, but they knew that praying to God, that, that, that was very important. And Daniel said, no, I'm not going to stop praying. So they knew the word. So it's important to know the word. And they knew who they were. So they were trying to brainwash them and take their culture, take their religion and say, okay, you don't need that anymore. Put it to the side because now you're Babylonian. Now you're one of our best men. We're going to teach you. You're going to be in power. If you'll just basically spit on the book and send it on its way, you're going to be in really good hands. And yet they said, no, because we know who we are. We're God's people. We're called and we're set apart. If we become one of you, then we're no longer set apart like God's people were intended to be set apart. So if I say yes to you, then I've lost everything. If I say no to God, then I've lost everything. So I know who I am. I am a Hebrew. And no matter how much you try to brainwash me, no matter how much you try to change me, I'm going to be a Hebrew to the day that I die. And you cannot change me. You cannot. So the question tonight is, is whenever we face peer pressure, is what about you? I mean, seriously. The first big question is, do you know God? Okay, so that's that's the first level. And then, do you know His Word? That's the second level. So if you know God... Then, then, then I am, I'm going to encourage you. You need to be in His Word. You need to know it because when you get placed in that situation, that's where we find the plan that's, no offense, Mason, better than, I'm just not going to do it. That, that's not, that's not going to hold water. But if I know the Word of God and I know what He's called me to and I know that I'm swept up into a larger story and that I live for someone more and I know that deep down in my core, that I can walk into that situation doesn't mean I'm going to be perfect. Absolutely not. But it does mean that I have some backbone so that I can walk into and I can know what the truth is, know where the boundaries need to be set, know what God asked me to do so that I don't have to constantly be like, I just want you to like me, so I'm going to do whatever whatever you want me to. I, mean, I, I just want you to like me. I'm just, I'm just tell me what to do. I just want you to like me. And like that is a terrible way to go through high school, to go through life period, but especially high school because you're going to do a whole bunch of crazy stuff that you look back on and you're wondering to yourself, how in the world did I ever get to that place? But, but God gives you the arsenal, the sword to walk into that and say, you know what? I care about you. I do want your acceptance because I'm a human being, but I am a son of God. And I've been called to something different than what you're asking me to do. So therefore, like, I can still care for, for you. I might even be near you. Or I might have to care for you from a distance. Right? But we have to know who we are in Christ. Okay. <clears throat> so to know who we are in Christ is directly connected to knowing His Word. I know I'm losing you guys tonight. I'm not, I don't know if I'm low on energy or what, but, um, Okay, hang with me because we're almost done. All right. So if we know the Word of God, then we also can know who we are in Christ, which is going to be vital because that goes back to the past two lessons that, that we've had down here. You knowing who you are in Christ gives you freedom from having to wear the mask, gives you freedom from having to, to just look for acceptance from somebody. It gives you the freedom to be able to live with confidence and boldness and, and, and to live with a mission because you've been called to something much greater than your own whims and your own whatever dream that you have. We, the, the stakes are far too high. Far too high. 
to try to create an identity for ourselves. But I'm not going to know who I am in Christ if I don't know the Word of God. And do we have to know it perfectly? No. But if I'm never in the Word of God and I just expect the preacher to spoon-feed me constantly, I'm going to be malnourished. No offense to Pastor Kenneth. I'm going to be malnourished. And you're going to be malnourished if you come here thinking that I'm the only one that's going to feed you spiritually. You need to learn what it looks like to dig into God's Word on your own time. Because that's where the real strength and the real substance comes whenever you are placed in a situation where you're pressured into something that you don't want to do. Because guess who's not going to be there? Most likely. This guy. And Pastor Kenneth. But guess who is there with you? Right. And, and I know that, that sounds churchy, but like really think about it for a second. God is with you in those moments, but if you don't have a knowledge of Him and you don't have a knowledge of His Word, it's going to be really hard for you to figure out what that looks like in those moments. But if you know Him and you have a knowledge of His Word and you know who you are, I guarantee you, I can guarantee you that you will be able to stand underneath the peer pressure that you're facing. If, if these men could stand in the face of death and say, no, I'm going to serve God, not you, or if that young little girl could stand there and have her hand burned because she wasn't going to spit on the Bible, like that type of power is available to each of us. And yet so often we just relegate ourselves to living for so much less than that. My hope and my prayers for myself is that, that I live more and more each day on fire for God in that way. Bold, walking into situations where there's brokenness and people that will probably not agree with my views and to share the love of Christ in that moment. To share with them what it looks like to live for something more. So I encourage you guys and I challenge you guys, dig in His Word, know Him, know His Word, and know who you are in Christ. Okay? So, um, so tonight, I've had copies made of uh, this devotional. Okay, so I'm going to send you guys home with this. I'm going to start it around. You can just take one and pass it. Um, this is a devotional uh, that is a devotional based on the, uh, well, one part, the story of the furnace that we talked about tonight. So take that home with you. And if you don't know what it looks like to have a quiet time with God, that's a great place to start. Okay? Um, if you're already doing something, don't worry about it. Just hang on to it. Maybe read it um, before you go to bed or whatever. Um, but I really like it. I like uh, this because it's very simple and straightforward and it takes you step by step on the right page through what it looks like to have that quiet time. Okay? So um, go ahead and pass those around. Keep passing them. I'm going to pray um, and then we'll be dismissed. Okay? <clears throat> God, thank you so much for tonight and for each of the youth that you have brought here. I pray, God, that you will uh, help us, Lord, to, to know you more fully and to, uh, to be connected with you, especially in those moments where we're being pressured to do things that we don't want to. And I pray that um, you will help us to uh, just have an increased desire, a thirst, a hunger for your word. And I pray, Lord, that um, each of these students, and myself included, that we will uh, not be able to uh, satisfy our desire to read your word. That we would just read it and read it and read it. God, I pray that you will implant your word in our minds and our hearts so that when we're in situations where we don't have our Bible next to us, so that we can access that. 
and that we can use it as a source of strength and a source of guidance as we try to figure out what this life is all about. God, I pray that um, you will continue to help us to know um, who we are in you, that we would claim that identity with all that we have, that we would not settle for anything less than what you've called us to. Now, we love you. We thank you that you have called us into something so much greater than our own um, whims or our own desires and that we get to live for your kingdom. Pray, God, that as these students leave and go back to their schools tomorrow, that they will have your eyes to see the people around them and your hands to serve them, that your heart would guide them to the, those that need your love. Now, we love you and we praise you and we offer you um, our time uh, that we have left down here. And we just pray, God, that you will um, continue to be glorified in all that we do, both inside this building, but also um, outside of this building and, and in our schools and in our homes. Now, we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, guys. Have a good night.